for joining us again for another episode of Sales with Adlin. But Tab, I just recognized that maybe people have never, this could be their first episode. So it, it could be. be. Was that so, arrogant? Well, I, you know, I think you're just uh, projecting a good thing upon people. And I think they'll feel kind of left out. Like if, you know, hey, what's wrong with you? You should be coming to these every week. So everybody, I see what you're everybody doing. Everybody listens to this podcast. Everybody. <laughs> and we also, of course, thank our sponsors. Yes. Um, but our our producer, our behind-the-scenes producer, Tendall, told us that they, people don't really like our small talk, which hurt my yeah, feelings. I know. And I said, do you have any data to prove that? And she said, no, it was just an opinion. <laughs> so clearly she doesn't like it well i will say one of our clients told me yeah i just fast forward so <laughs> you don't know, like tab, so this is for us the tab and tom banter but you know we see each other you know rarely and i well not as rarely we, we see each other pretty rarely but it's good to see each other we love each other so we, we do. But we, well, let's but we are I, I am stalling tab let's get to the meat of what we're talking about today if you can see in the show notes we we have we have a doctor on the show today the the kind as he described doesn't make money. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> That's not true. Uh, very smart guy's written a lot of books. He is a professional speaker consultant who focuses on helping leaders become remarkable and and creating remarkable cultures and also sellers. How do they become remarkable? Um, he uh, has worked with a lot of well known companies and brands from Delta to to Cox to McDonald's. Chick-fil-A, you know, I love seeing Dan Cappy has uh, endorsed him on his latest book. Uh, he, he's worked with a lot. He's worked with a lot of well-known organizations, and we're going to talk about on this episode. We talk about his most popular book, and and also it's coming out with his third edition, his book Remarkable. Uh, and I thought, you know, Tab, this was it was a great podcast because everybody needs to be remarkable. Yes, and it was so inspiring. I just. Mm -hmm. I was I walked away inspired and and it I, I loved how he um you know his passion about living life with purpose mm -hmm. you know he was so passionate about that and uh and 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 really just thinking through about continually coming back to what that is um in order to stay grounded and focused on the right saying things so that we can live a life with purpose and be remarkable and I be, love that. yeah I agree it was very inspiring and for People that maybe not have connected the dots to how does that translate to our professional life? You know, like, well, okay, so why does that matter? He does a really good job of communicating what happens when your values align, you live a life of purpose, you create a culture mm -hmm. and the impact and the value and how it sustains and you become a high performing organization and you become an attractive, you have attractive culture. People are more engaged. They're more motivated because he talked about short term, right? You might can be able to, you may be able to hit a certain metric short term yeah. and putting pressure, but it's not sustainable. Yeah. And, and so I love that. I, you know, one of the, my favorite things that he talked about is advertising and prospecting is a tax that you pay for being unremarkable. <laughs> I know that was really good. Yeah. I definitely I like wrote that. that down. I thought yeah, that was like, really good. It's like, Hey, if I'm just an oral average salesperson or I'm an average leader or I'm an average organization, I got to spend a lot of money and work really hard because I'm, 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 I can't, I'm not remarkable. People aren't talking about me. Yeah. People yeah. aren't, there's I don't no get buzz. There's no buzz. Yeah. I love, so he got real practical though, Tabby talked about the three B's, the three best that drive culture. 
Mm-hmm. Um, he talked about how the typical approach to metrics don't work. I thought I loved how he flipped metrics on the head, mm-hmm. uh, on its head. Um, and he talked about the different ways we can deliver value as a seller and as a leader. So I think people are going to love the episode. So why don't we dive in and thanks for joining us for another episode. And I hope you enjoy this one. Dr. Randy Ross, we are so excited to have you on the podcast. I, I know we bumped into each other in a couple of places. I know I've met you and you may have been, you may have personally given me your book because I have, it's back in 2019. Wow. And I loved it. And I have it. So, I mean, okay. So that's 2000, that's 10 over 10 years ago. And I immediately knew where it was. I have pages dog ears. So I was really excited and we're obviously going to talk about this, but, uh, very honored to have you on the show. You got it. I was a little surprised, honestly, when I did a little digging about all the people that you hang with. It was very intimidating. True, yes. Kathy, Dan, Kathy, Ken Blanchard, Andy Stanley, uh, Tab Norris, Tom Stanfield. Yeah, it's an <laughs> incredible Stanfield. group. Yeah, uh, Tom and I first met each other when we were incarcerated, you know, together. So. <laughs> no, well, no, then we I've were, heard that creates bond. No, very we had the bonding. same. We had the same parole guy. That's what it was. <laughs> it was. It was the same parole guy. That was it. Uh, and in our pre-show conversation tab, Randy made us feel very, feel very comfortable by telling us what kind of doctor he is. <laughs> yes, that's we were right. very nervous. And yeah. then Randy, what did you say when you explained what kind of doctor you are? Well, I don't say it this way. My kids say it this way. He's the kind of doctor that doesn't make any money. So <laughs> you, you can take a guess. That's either that's either philosophy or theology. One of those two. <laughs> okay, <laughs> probably a little bit of both. Hey, there uh, that's probably true. That's well, you've written true. four books and you have a very successful company and a big client list. So I'm sure that's not true. But of course, your kids probably think that. Well, you know, kids really know exactly what we do anyway. That's why I try to take them on the road with me. And even yeah. when they travel with them, they still look at me and go, I still don't understand what you do. So. <laughs> okay. I got, I know this, I was going to save this to the end, but we got to go there. So you have four kids. We do. Right. Four yes. kids. And what's the, what are the ages? Uh, I'll make it real simple. Oh, they're all of the age that they're out of the house and they're not coming back. How's that? Okay. There okay. you go. All right. Now what about grandkids? What's that? What about grandkids? Oh, so now, okay. You got me inside scoop. We, we have our first grandchild. Oh, grandson wow. his name is Kate our daughter gave birth in August and she immediately moved to Montana so, <laughs> so <Didn't> want- <laughs> we're, we're thrilled to have a grandchild it's like we'll just leave him here if y'all are going to leave the state right? oh well Randy you're going to have to go fly fish with us because we're going to Montana this summer yes I'm, I'm going right. to be getting up there a lot I'm sure yeah that's probably good news bad news good news dad I'm moving to Montana it's the most beautiful state in the country Bad news is I'm moving to Montana. <laughs> well, the fun part about it for them is that they're doing life with uh, several other couples. And so they had a, a, a group of friends here. Okay. Uh, they actually attended the same church together and they all up and got a wild hair and said, let's all move to Montana. So they all live within a five mile radius of each other. That's awesome. They like the mountains and they just like doing life together. And they say, we're young, we're footloose. Let's, we can, let's do it. Wow. So, yeah. These yeah. damn, these damn I, I may kids, do that Dad. tomorrow. Kids, they're I'm, all like, I'm you in. know, they're traveling around. I can work anywhere. I'm like, what are that's, you talking about? No, you got to go remote to, work. They're just having miserable like we were when you started. Exactly. Build an office, get people to yell at you. Uh, yeah. Come on. Well, the reason I asked that, Randy, is because, and we hopefully we'll get to this. I love to talk about what we do at work also applies to what we do at home. And I've read, obviously, mm-hmm. that that's important to you as well. As a matter of fact, it was what you said you honored your family when in the beginning of this edition of the book. So 
and talked about that. So we'll get we'll get to that. At least I'm, I'm going to make sure we at least have a, a couple of questions about how everything we talk about in this podcast applies to home. But tell us about Remarkable. You got a new edition coming out. I guess this is your best-selling book. I know you've written four, but I, and I don't I don't know that for sure. But tell us about the new edition. What what what's the premise of the book and why the new edition? I know it's a. I think I I I, I called it a, a or people call it a narrative nonfiction. You can explain that. Yep. It is a it, remarkable is a leadership parable okay. that unpacks the principles of applied axiology. And so here we go again. This oh, is that. Axiology. Yes. I was about to say that. That's why you're a doctor, because I can't spell that. Geek stuff that, that starts pouring <laughs> out and nobody knows anything about. But it's it's really actually kind of fun. Um, it is the third edition. Uh, we're, we're grateful it's, it's made a splash in the marketplace. And now it's just uh, we want to give it a fresh face, a new look, throw it back out there and let it continue to have an impact. So we're looking forward to that. But but the book itself talks about culture, okay. mm. and, which is a powerful topic that many organizations now understand the importance of. And it's about customer service. It's about value creation. But it really does unpack some principles of axiology. Which uh, is interesting, if, if your listeners aren't familiar, it's philosophy, uh, a strain of philosophy that talks about values, value constructs, and value creation. Okay. And it's actually an attempt to define and measure good. Um, and uh, by applying the principles of axiology, you can actually create movements of good within organizational life. And that's what we get the chance to Travel across the country and around the globe, uh, talking to organizations about about being able to do, create movements of good, both internally and externally, and the impact that can have on business. Wow! So, so make that practical for us. So make that. Yeah. So obviously, it, businesses wouldn't bring you in if it didn't drive revenue. Obviously, it's not just about because you mentioned the word values and you mentioned right. the word culture, and yep. so there's a lot of buzz about that. Yep. And I know some people get it. They're like everything you just said, they can connect the dots between what you just said and how it drives results because it drives engagement, right? And people are more productive and, and they're happy and all those things and people want right. purpose. But talk a little bit about how does it how does it practically impact business when you maybe focus on culture and we can go from there. So let me back into it and I'll ask you a question. And I don't want you to answer this right away. Okay. This is this is not a quiz. But for all your <laughs> listeners, what's the purpose of business? Now, if you go to any MBA program in the country, they'll give you a long, flowery, academic definition of the mm -hmm. purpose of business, but it'll all boil down to one thing. The purpose of business is to make money. Now, I agree. If you don't make money, you're going to be out of business, but mm -hmm. I don't think the purpose of business is to make money. Now, hold on, because I mean, extrapolate I, this. I read, I read this. I read this in, so I know exactly where you're going. So the purpose of business, I believe, is to improve the human condition. Mm-hmm. To do good, to solve a problem, to make the world a better place. Because here's the thing. If you do good, if you solve problems, if you make the world a better place, if you let, make life better, you will make a dollar. Mm -hmm. But it's a matter of putting making a difference above making a dollar. Because here's what I know to be true, guys, that people will gladly pay full price for those things that they deem bring true value to life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And a lot of people out there value. sell stuff. Well, you can sell stuff or you can make life better. If you make life better, you're going to make a dollar. If you sell stuff, you just sell stuff. You got to go back and sell more stuff. If you make life better, here, here's how I say it. And, and you'll appreciate the tie in here. But um, 
when you live life and you do business in such a way that you blow people away, mm-hmm. you provide a world-class experience. You, you exceed all expectations. You, you make someone's day a little bit better mm-hmm. to the degree that when they leave your presence, they have this irrepressible desire to talk about you and the difference that you've made in their lives. When they're out there remarking about you, then you indeed have become remarkable, right? Yeah. And here's the thing, uh, Robert Stevens, the founder of Geek Squad, in an Inc. Magazine article sometime back, he, he made this statement. He said, advertising is a tax that you pay for being unremarkable. <laughs> wow. That is really good. That is really good. Say that one yeah. more time. Advertising is a tax you pay for being unremarkable. Mm-hmm. Because when you're remarkable, when people are remarking about you, you don't have to advertise. It's all viral. It's word of mouth. It's your fan base. It's the, you know, your raving fans are out there in the market telling your story because you've impacted their life in such a positive way. And that's really what the principles of axiology are all about. Hey, I got to say this, Randy, I went, I read your life, your manifesto. Hmm. And this feeds right into that. Like I just got so excited, you know, the whole idea about I will live for a purpose. Right. And, and one of the, my favorite things you said, which feeds right into this is be, what did you, I wrote it down. Neon, be a, be neon in a world of gray. And to me, that's what you're talking about. When you're a neon in a world of gray, you have impact and you will have abundance. I mean, it's all the things you're talking about. It's almost like if we do that, people are drawn to that, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. And in the next line in the manifesto is be a symphony where formerly there was silence. Yes, mm-hmm. I know. I had, a, I had a tear, I think, maybe two. <laughs> Look a little misty-eyed. Misty-eyed, Randy. It was really good. Good stuff. And so, Ian, it's, it's, it's subtle, but when I hear you talk about this, uh, it, it's like it sounds almost like it's a, you got to take a fork in the road because you can't mm. do both you can't say yeah. i don't really i'm going to care about serving the customer and bringing value and being remarkable and i'm going to care more about making money it's almost like you have to choose because there is going to be a fork in the road that's right I'm, mm-hmm. who are you who are you yeah because ultimately one's going to drive you're either going to be about taking care of the customer, what we call being other centered and trying to help them, or you're That's going to be right. about how do I get you to do what I want you to do, which happens all the way up to the top of the, the, the pyramid. No doubt. Mm-hmm. No so doubt. How do we, how do we apply this to, let's talk to about a frontline leader who has, who just heard this and like, they're in a big organization and you know, they've got their team of 10 and they're like, yeah, Randy, but I work at a big company and it is what it is, you know? Can they drive the culture in their organization? Can they apply this and it work even in, if they're a subset of a big organization? And that's a great question. I really appreciate that, Tom, because see, culture is just simply defined as the collective expression of the values, the beliefs, and the behaviors that individuals bring to an endeavor. Okay. So your enterprise is going to have a culture, but your work group is going to have a culture. Mm-hmm. Your okay. team may have a culture. There's a culture in the church that you attend. There's a culture in the philanthropic organizations where you volunteer your time. There's a, there's a culture at the gym. People held on to this. There's even a culture in your home. Yeah, definitely. A lot of people don't think about that. Everywhere yeah. people get together, there's going to be a culture. So that culture is either going to be by design. You're giving it intentional, 
intentionality, thoughtful reflection, constantly trying to make it better, or you're going to have culture by default. Mm-hmm. One of the two. And you don't want to wake up one day and have a culture by default. A lot of people do that in their marriages. And that's why the marriages fall apart because they've not been intentional about growing it. Let me give you a little, here's a litmus test. It's what we call the trilogy of a remarkable culture. Okay. Yeah. And you can use this to measure your culture, whatever environment you're in. It's a place where people believe the best in each other. They want the best for each other. And so they expect the best from each other. Mm. I love that. Now, what that is, is that's that's the trilogy of trust, compassion, and accountability. Mm. But it has to start. We're really good in corporate circles about the accountability, the accountability oh, yeah. piece, right? We know how to drive yeah. that. We know how to drive <laughs> results. But if you don't have trust and you don't have compassion first, mm-hmm. then accountability is really, really hard. Mm-hmm. And so if you get that backwards, it, it's uh, it's challenging. And so we call that the culture, the litmus test of a great culture. And then how do you apply that? Well, there are principles and, and practices that you can apply from the field of axiology to move things in a better direction. So to your point, whether you're in a small group of 10, you know, a, a mom and pop shop around the corner, or you're in an organization of 10 or a hundred thousand, it makes no difference. Your culture of your subgroup can be radically different. Now, Arguably, in the best organizations, you want that culture to be consistent across the board. Right. And it has to begin from the top down and the bottom up, you know, and everybody meets in the middle. But you can still make a huge difference, a huge impact, even if you're a subset of a larger group. Right. I mean, well, well, you also talk about value. I think I wrote down value centricity. It's a word I think you created. Yeah. Um, is the energy and momentum that can be produced with your values when your values are properly aligned. Absolutely. And and I want to connect that because I think of culture also having aligned values because you, the way that you talked about that is you believe it's almost like how you treat each other, but there's also, isn't there also an alignment to a central purpose where we're all have value centricity? Absolutely. And, and thanks for saying we made it up. Otherwise you might confuse people. If they go try to look it up, they're going to have a hard time. That's well, a, word, word one of the benefits of, say, what? Yeah, what, <laughs> one of the benefits of being an author and a wordsmith is you get to make stuff up. Yeah. Um, but uh, value centricity is this idea that if we're all on the same page, committed to the same things with the same values and the same beliefs, then our behaviors are going to be an expression of that and synergy that's created through unity is a powerful, powerful force. Unity is the most powerful force on the planet, Mm. but unity comes through clarity and commitment to certain values that will drive our behavior. And and also I always say that, you know, the two greatest roles and responsibilities of leaders are to keep their hand on the helm of culture because there's nothing more important than culture. But the second thing they have to do is to connect personal passion and values to corporate objectives. Because when my personal values and my personal passion align with the organization, I get excited to come to work. Yeah. Well, and you're intrinsically motivated. And we talk about that um, with our clients. I mean, if, if you're having to get people motivated by carrots and sticks, (laughs) you know, it's exhausting. Everybody's miserable and it's not, but when all of a sudden people rally around a purpose and and it's connected to what they want and their why, then it gets exciting. 
a fire well, starts, Tom, right? A fire starts. Well, and Tab, this is to, to your point. Um, it, it's, it's interesting talking about intrinsic motivation because you can motivate people with a carrot and a stick, but here's, here's the universal maxim, the axiom that most leaders need to understand. It will revolutionize the way you lead. You ready for this? Yeah. People will do what they want to do. <laughs> it's really true amen i love that it's like you, you have don't have to convince the, anybody yeah, on that. control <laughs> is just an illusion it's now an illusion. you can't you can get them to show up for a meeting and you can get them to like maybe be someplace but you can't get them to do anything that, that's no. important well here's the thing because you know when you try to and i, I i'm not a big fan of the word motivation yeah. because motivation connotes that i'm trying to get you to do something you don't want to do I like inspiration much better Yeah, because for me, motivation is carrot or stick. And now you can call it intrinsic motivation. I get that, but I, I call that inspiration because mm -hmm. I would much rather find the right people whose values are aligned with the organization and their passion can be expressed, can be stressed, uh, expressed through the utilization of their strengths. That way, all I have to do is I don't have to light a fire underneath them. I just fan the flame that's within them. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a big, big difference between the two. Yeah. So and this actually applies to both sellers and leaders. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I mean, let's talk about leaders. I want to talk about the leadership though challenge first, because I also want to apply this to sellers, because I think what you're saying also applies to them and how they're working with their customers. Absolutely. We can't motivate our customers to do something they don't want to do. Right. And so there's an alignment, there's a value centricity there that applies. Uh, so I'd love to talk about that second, but my, my, I'm interested tab to see if this is what you think is the toughest challenge with culture is I got a team, I got 10 and they're hitting and I got three that are toxic, but they're, they're hitting their number. <laughs> right. And I'm hit, I'm measured by a number, right? I'm, um. I'm, I'm measured by a number now in certain organizations and certain leaders, it's kind of hard to know what people are doing and so they can hide. And so it's, but in sales, which is obviously the world that we serve, uh, I, I got 10 and, 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 and the three most vocal are hitting their number, but they're also toxic. We don't have value centers. They don't believe they're competitive. And so they, they've created. So I think that's a challenge that a lot of leaders have with culture who buy into what we're saying right now, because they're yeah. looking down and they're going now in our families, <laughs> we don't have a lot of options, you know. Just Guess we toxic. You got nothing to do. Yeah, about I go. It, right? Well, you're out. <laughs> but so that's a. I think that's a conundrum a lot of leaders face. Tab, what yeah, do you think? I 100 percent agree with that. It's I hear it all the time. It's like you're telling me I'm going to take my top two producers, and because they're kind of do it their way and they don't really fit with the why and they don't serve their customers, they just pound away and they somehow have success or you know whatever. I'm going to get rid of them. Mm -hmm. And it is, we deal with, we deal with that all the time. Uh, it's interesting. I used to work in, in a space that was very heavily sales oriented. And, and here's what I can tell you. It's interesting because if you allow toxic behavior to continue, it will destroy the morale of the entire team. And we've all been a part of organizations where someone who's great in sales, you know, brings in the dollars, but they kill everybody in ops. Yeah. yeah or, they demands, or they kill the team. There's only one yeah. producers in that team. 
and everybody thinks of them as superstar. I, I've been in many organizations like that. And, and when people leave, they leave because I've seen that happen. Well, you you want me this guy that you praise him. Well, I'm doing it differently. I've got a long term play that's going to pay off yeah. dividends in the future, mm -hmm. but you don't want that. So I'm going to go find a company that does. That's where I see that culture play. Yeah. And I think we've made a huge mistake when we when we define value as purely monetary means that are brought yeah. into the organization. You know, just, it's mm -hmm. all about the money because value, oh, I right. think is often metrics don't create value. Value mm -hmm. creates metrics. Mm -hmm. And so when you really understand what- Wait, say that again, means, say that one more time. Metrics don't create value. Mm -hmm. Values create metrics. Okay, we'll explain that because I think that's super- What I mean is when you get the value construct right, Mm -hmm. The money will take care of itself. Mm -hmm. Organizations that put people above profit, they honor their people, they invest in their people, they coalesce their people, they focus on good team unity. They don't let prima donnas dominate at the top, you know, who are toxic to the organization. They put their team first because they, they know that individuals may be able to run faster, but teams run farther. Mm -hmm. mm. And so it's all about building your team for longevity. Yeah. And so and they also outproduce other people, other organizations who don't work in teams. I just had a meeting with a, a senior leader uh, in, in Europe that runs one of our biggest organizations that we work with. And it's like the, the team far outperforms individual organizations that work as individuals. Right. Mm -hmm. So the question is, what value do people actually bring? It may be monetary, but they're far they may elevate the performance of everyone by sharing best practices. Mm -hmm. They may create a spirit of unity and enthusiasm and they coalesce the team. That's more valuable than any monetary figure you could put on top of that. <laughs> it's so funny. I saw, I had a client and this guy was always middle of the pack and, and they wanted, they kept wanting to fire him. You know, I mean, they're just like, God, he just, he's just not measuring up. You know, he can't get above a six out of our scale to 10 and his skills are not there and whatever. And I'm, and I get, well, so why don't you guys just let this guy go? They go, because he's average and he gets every ounce of everything out of what God gave him mm -hmm. and he inspires other people. And I thought, now that's cool. That's exactly what you're talking about. He, he, he brings value. To he the brought team. value. He brought it value is. to the team and he was a mediocre performer at best. Well, here's the thing, but, but will that person attract other people and will the organization retain those people yeah. to do greater good in the long run? <laughs> because, you know, your overnight sensations who become successful, you know, quickly, oftentimes are the ones that crash the hardest. Yeah. You know, we're, we're in this we for longevity. Yeah. And we do have to be honest. I mean, not that we're being dishonest, but to be candid, it's like uh, you, you're going to sometimes pay a price. If you take over an organization or you say we're going to move in this direction, you yeah. may take a few steps back. I mean, you yeah. look at Chick-fil-A, which I know is one of your, I think you're one of your clients because it sounds like you've got a lot of connection to Chick-fil-A. Um, and you look at, you know, there were organizations that grew a lot faster, you know, and, you know, we're spending a lot of money, opening a lot more stores. They're like, nope. We're doing it. And you look at, they mm -hmm. dominate now. Yeah. And so it's hard. And I do know it's hard to have a long-term perspective in a short-term organization. Well, people, but I would say, who are you? Yeah. And if you are the, you know, you've got to ultimately say who you are, who are you? Or am I an org am I a person, a leader who says, I'm going to run my organization my way, regardless of what the parent 
organization is doing because I know long-term I'm going to be more successful. And so they have to, sometimes there's some sacrifice and some scary decisions that, that you have to make. Well, it's interesting because just this morning I had an opportunity to, to be a part of a meeting where my co-author David Sayers was speaking and he, he was uh, in the marketing department, Chick-fil-A. He was actually the second person they hired oh, wow. uh, in the marketing department at Chick-fil-A. Wow. People don't realize Chick-fil-A started in 1946. Yeah. Right. In the first 10, 15 years, they barely turned a profit, Yeah, but they built it on the right principles. Now, fast forward, they've gone through all the transitions. We could talk over and over about why they're so successful because they do things in a counterintuitive sort of a way. But David was sharing just this morning that Chick-fil-A has just recently surpassed all of their top five competitor, competitors combined I in that, that space. That. I saw that. Right. With <laughs> one third, with one third. Yeah, with one third, the number of retail outlets. This it's just crazy. Staggering. Combined. Combined. So they have a third of the outlets. So like, let's say they've got 2,000 stores and compared to, you know, 8,000. They have 3,000. They have 2,800 stores, 2,800 right. stores, as compare, compared to a total of the other five top brands that are their competitors who have combined almost 11,000 stores. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and they're outperformed those stores outperform all of the others combined. Yeah. yeah and it, pay, it pays off, but yeah, it's, and they're so closed, hard, it's so hard to pay the price sometimes. And they're closed 52 days out of the year on yeah. arguably is many fast food restaurants consider Sunday to be their most productive day you know, 20% of their revenue comes from sales on Sunday and Chick-fil-A won't do that. It's all based on values, but it was a slow grow process. That was the point. It was for the long run. And, and I think David made a really good point today. He, he was talking about the fact that most organizations are focused on shareholder value. Mm -hmm. That's the challenge of a publicly traded company. You know, you got to produce shareholder value, but short term, but it's short -term. remarkable organizations mm -hmm. focus on stakeholder value, mm -hmm. meaning it's about what they're, what their team needs, what the clients need, what the suppliers need. And when you focus on stakeholder value, mm -hmm. your shareholders will never be disappointed. Right. If all you focus on is your shareholder value, you may compromise a lot of things that are going to jeopardize your stakeholder value. And I think that's, that's the difference. It's a different perspective. It's a different way of looking at business. I love yeah. it. Uh, Talk a little bit, Randy, about some of the things that we've we've touched on and how it relates to sellers on the front line who are working with their customers because they have a culture, right? right? They have they have values. They can think short term. They can think about making a commission versus serving their customers and providing value. So, talk a little bit about how it works at that level. Well, let me let me just kind of bounce into some of the principles of axiology because I think it applies. Um, yeah. The first principle of axiology is what we call the principle or the maxim of creativity. Mm -hmm. And it asks the question, do you create more value than you take? Mm -hmm. Now, that sounds rather simple, but it, it's, uh, it's very robust when you begin to unpack it. For sales, do you bring more to the table than you take away? In every client-facing opportunity, yeah. Do you bring more to the client than you ask in return? Mm. You know, are you building the relationship? Are you getting to know them? Do you understand the dynamics? Do you understand what their needs are? Do you take the time to listen? Are you involved in deep, rich conversations so that you connect? Do you understand their world? Are you helping to bring solutions? Have you identified the problems 
the burning platform that you can address and solve? And are you bringing a response to the table that's going to help them even before you ever close a sale? Now, here's the, here's the tough question. Are you willing to point them in the direction of someone else who's selling something else if that's the best solution to their problem? Mm -hmm. Right. Really goes yeah. That's that's all about yeah. that's all about being more concerned about them than you are closing the sale because you're not going into it with the spirit of reciprocity. I've been around sales organizations all my life, and a lot of times it's you know you you give to get. Yeah. No, you give to give. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. You it's, give to we, give. We, if you give to get, yeah. then you're not giving at all. You, you know. It's motive, and it's being a trusted partner is what we call that. What yeah. you just said, and motive is transparent. You can't fake that. I mean, you just people can't see, fake it. People see right through it, yeah. right? Yeah. And so that's the first thing. The second principle is the principle we call of, of positivity, and this is an interesting one. All the good things you want in life are a byproduct of creating value for others. Mm. Mm. So people say, you know, what's the number one pursuit? of most people it's happiness. Everybody wants to be happy. Mm -hmm. But John Templeton, a very wise man once said this, he said, happiness pursued eludes, mm -hmm. but happiness given returns. Mm -hmm. well, In other words, the things that you think will make you happy probably won't make you happy. Mm -hmm. You're, you're happiest when you're doing good for others. So for me, I know that I'm the happiest as a husband when my wife is happy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm the happiest as a parent when my kids are happy. I'm the happiest as a team leader when my teams are happy. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it gets back to this whole idea that, that happiness is, it's like what Zig Ziglar used to say, Tom, he'd say, you know, if you want, if you want to become successful, then the secret is make everyone around you successful, because if you mm -hmm. make them successful, you will become successful. You, as you get what do, you want by helping others get what they want. Yeah. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And you, you know, know what I love? Andy says, Andy Stanley says it, he says, selfishness robs you of the very thing that you want yeah i love that because it's like here's the thing i want i so selfishly i'm going to pursue it selfishness robs you of that thing that's right it's, it's, that. it's elusive right and, yep. and templeton was wise and so i think back to sales so what does that mean mm -hmm. for me mm -hmm. um it means that i am so in tune with my customer base with my clients the people that i serve I'm so in tune with them that I'm constantly aware of bringing value to them, mm -hmm. answering their questions, solving their problems, helping them strategize, being a trusted friend, a confident, a coach, you know, just a, a, a an advisor of sorts mm -hmm. in my area of expertise so that therefore I can earn the right when the time is right to provide for them a solution that will meet their need as opposed to pushing my service on them, which they may not need right now. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's true. It's just, it's taking the, a different perspective. And I mean, this is right in line with what we believe, Randy. That's why it's just, it's the same. It's just true. It's truth. It's not, this is not a tactic or a, here's a great idea to make a lot of money. It's just the truth. Well, there's, there's a reason that truth survives. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Because it's eternal. It just, <laughs> it works. It works. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing that I would say, I would say most surprised me about uh, we share truth and principles in our workshops. And if you, I always thought, I guess I got nervous because we're going to talk about some of these concepts and principles and they're biblical. And I'm thinking somebody's going to argue with me and then I'm going to have to defend it. Right. 
I have not once in 30 years delivered a principle, an actual principle like gravity that anybody said, that's not true. Right. Because oh, yeah. We all intuitively know when you say, when you share a principle, everybody goes, that's true. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. I, I do a mentor, a little an entrepreneur group for seniors in college in the Greek system, Randy. And we, same exact thing. We kick this thing off and we go, we're going to teach you a lot of truths and things we've learned over 30 years in entrepreneurship. But you know what? You know what we're going to talk about? The most important thing, which is live for the line. Meaning you got this dot and you can focus on making a whole lot of money in that on in your time on earth, but it will end up empty. So what you do needs to be eternal. And and this is yeah. not a quote Christian group. And I'm the same thing. I'm thinking they're going to be a little funny about the nobody disagrees. Everybody goes, I know intuitively that that is truth. So Tab, I've got a, uh, I've got a, another book that's coming out in August that I'm really excited about. Out okay. of all the books I've written, this one I'm looking forward to hitting the market the most. And it's called Make Life Good. But the full title is this. You've made a good living. Now, make life good. Oh, I love that. I like that. And it's, it's, just that. Whole, it's just the whole idea that, you know, you can go out and you can make money. You can buy your lake house. You can, you know, plan your retirement but but what have you done to make life good? Because there's a big difference between making a good living and making life good. There are a lot of people who make a good living, but they've done nothing to give back. They haven't created a legacy. They, they haven't they haven't mastered this whole idea of living on purpose to make a difference in their world. And and I wrote the book about that to really challenge people to think through their life, their leadership, their legacy. What do they want to be known mm. for? What will they leave behind? How will they make a dent in the universe? And it's a fun book that challenges people to ask the question, why do you do what you do? Yeah, I was all about my golf game being the thing, but I, I've given up on that now, Randy. So I'm going that for was, something else. That was, that was a wise choice. <laughs> yeah, well, I, the way I say that Although is- Although you're a great, great, great putter. So, but it may not be my legacy. Just but my I think I think it's just one element. It's only one capability to have. You know, people, that's you're talking about truth. Somebody told me, my grandmother told me a long time ago, she said, do what you love to do and the money will follow. Yeah, uh, that's what we call a lie. That's not a truth. I love, I love, it's not a truth. I love to play golf. No one has ever paid me to play no. golf. So. No. <laughs> I, yeah, exactly. no. That's really I good. I tried to be a professional softball player. <laughs> <laughs> but you kept pulling your hammy. I saw I it. I watched. My but I'm like, but in my little church league, I was pretty good. <laughs> hey, uh, I, I have was, to ask was, you. Go I, was, I was a great athlete too, Tom, but my, my, <laughs> my, my career peaked when I was in the fourth grade. So <laughs> I was the fastest in my class in the fourth grade. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. There you you guys are bragging now. I yeah. never was. Of the so 30 boys in my class, I was, now there were some girls who were faster, but of the 30 boys. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, what's Tom, you had one of you had something else you wanted well, to Well, I had to, you, you know, and we're just going to have to tease because we don't have time. But I, the four principles are creativity, positivity, I wrote down sustainability and responsibility. So uh, I wrote down for sustainability, and I just wanted you to touch on this. Uh, and then I also want to, uh, I've got to ask you a question about balanced life, Tab. I want to hear about yes. balanced life, because here's a man who's raised a family, a yep. large family, and he's also got his own business. So I, I got to hear yep. about that. But so I wrote down for sustainability, 
Um, nothing of long lasting value ever happens by force. I thought that was a brilliant, mm. a brilliant uh, insight. Uh, Anything you want to add to that? Just because, I mean, I think that applies to almost everything in business and maybe, yeah. maybe in, I guess, in life. It does. You know, and it gets back to this whole idea that people will do what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nothing of long lasting value ever is accomplished through force. It doesn't matter what realm you're talking about. And I think it's good for us as leaders to remember that because sometimes we try to use the wrong tools to motivate, if not manipulate or dominate, dictate, you know, yeah. all of those, yeah. <laughs> all those forms. Uh, and it doesn't serve us well in the long run. And so to help people understand these principles and, and the, the, the principle or the maximum of sustainability is in order to continuously create value, leverage your passion and your strengths to solve problems. Mm-hmm. You have to solve a problem. When you saw people will pay you when you're a problem solver. And yeah. I like to say, if you want to create value, find the biggest problem you can find and solve it because the bigger <laughs> the problem you solve, the more value you create, the more yeah. value you create, the more <laughs> valuable you become. So that's the principle of sustainability. So getting, so in other words, if we're all aligned and all want this, and we're not trying to force people, we're all aligned. It's got a value centricity. It will be sustained. Versus every day, I'm going to try to make people do things. I'm going to try to create an atmosphere of pressure. I'm yeah. going to hold people accountable to metrics they don't believe in. And if we do that and we crack the whip, It'll it will do work. This. But it, but what you're saying is, short term, that might move yeah. the needle. Long term, it's not sustainable. Absolutely. Think about it. Go back to our first principle. Do you create more value than you take? If everybody in the organization is a value creator, they all bring more to the table than they take away. At the end of the day, there will be a surplus on the table that then can be shared by everyone who helped to create that value. And the divas, the prima donnas that we were talking about earlier, they're value extractors. They're trying to get to the table to get as much for themselves as they possibly can. Competition. And that's all about competition, not collaboration. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's, it's it's profound. When you begin to play this out in daily scenarios, mm-hmm. you'll be amazed. You'll be amazed at how it will shift the culture. It's awesome. I have to ask you uh, before we leave the book and, and shift to personal, because, um, you know, I've written a book. I, I went through this long process of research. And, and so you learn a lot on that in that on that journey. And a lot of things surprise you. What was the number one thing that surprised you as you sat down and, and uh, you've done all the research and now you're, you're on your third edition uh, in writing this book about being remarkable? What were you most surprised by? What, what did you discover that you went, wow, mm. I really didn't know that? I think the thing that ple- most pleasantly surprised me, I'd, I'd be candid, was not about the research or the writing of the book. What, what what I was thrilled about was when we threw the book out into the marketplace almost 10 years ago now, and people would constantly come up and say, hey, I heard about your book. I picked it up. I read it, and I got to thank you. It was amazing. He's, but I really thought it was going to help me improve business, but it helped me improve my home life. It helped improve uh, my nice marriage transition. and improve my parenting. <laughs> and and, it, and that's, yeah. that's a win for me because, yeah. you know, we're holistic creatures. Mm-hmm. And... These truths are transcendent. They're applicable wherever you go in life. So be it, you know, becoming a better parent or a better community leader or a better business leader. Um, they apply to every area of life. And that that was affirming for me. That's what I get most excited about. That's, yeah. that's exactly what I talk awesome. about. Aslan. That's it. 
and that's what everybody wants to hear more about. They, they, they love it. So give all of our parents who have, who have the struggle of raising a family and being successful at work. What's give us, give us some parting advice and wisdom on having a balanced life and keeping family, our number one priority. Yeah. Identify and clearly define your values. Mm -hmm. okay. And then live them out because values always compete. You know, if you want to be a successful family man, sometimes that competes with being a successful businessman. Right. You got to def clearly define those so you operate from them, so you make choices around them. So don't yeah, be gray. Yeah. Don't be fuzzy. Don't be fuzzy. Because if you do, then the urgent will always push out the important. It will always crowd out the important. So you have to you have to be a person of principle who lives by your values. And you stick to those, even if it costs you something. And that's yeah. integrity. And that's integrity. It's consistent. But it also gives you the best life. Integrity. <laughs> because you've, you've sat down and said, this is what I want. Right. I'm clear about what I want. These are my values. Yeah. And if your values are, I want to make as much money as possible. I don't really care about my family. Then that that's, that's the life your... you want. Now we can argue about that destination, but at least you have integrity. Right. But integrity means fully integrated. Mm -hmm. Are you Are you consistent throughout? Integrity means no pretense. So you've got to be clear and forthright, not just to embrace certain values, but you have to embody those values. And I think that, that more than anything else, our, our kids need to see us live out our values because you're not going to be defined by what you do. You'll be defined by who you are. Oh, yeah. If we could all just do that, we don't, I mean, that's just the impact would just it'd be amazing. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So good. Do you have any other thing, anything you want to ask? No, I, I, this has just been amazing. I'm, I'm <clears> so <throat> encouraged and um, I just, I love your passion, Randy. I just, uh, and, and it's just, um, you believe it and I'm glad you're out there sharing it. Keep doing it. Well, I appreciate that, Tab. I'm just sorry we weren't able to encourage you more around your golf game. I know, but I <laughs> no, he's you, the world's best putter. <laughs> world's best putter. <laughs> I was Only very get positive. You so far, Randy. What, what number? Number two, positivity. There you go. Focusing <laughs> yeah. on what you're good at. That's uh, right. That's so just really put off, put off the tee box, uh, and you'll there you go. There you go. I and like he it. Can make, he can make a 90 yard putt. I've seen, <laughs> or at least two putt. <laughs> Those are stories that. from another day, Randy. Yep. We are blessed and honored to have you, my friend. You, you, oh. uh, you, and you, you have impacted me i think you have learned a lot i hope i know we'll have you back if you'll come back uh and so i know our listeners love it and to our vast audience who we uh, have a strong desire to serve i hope this encouraged you and i hope you'll join us for another episode of sales with Adam. Mm -hmm.